Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. This is Instant Replay on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ, featuring the best of the best from today's conversations, observations, and ruminations, because great radio is still fresh the second time around. Earlier today on the Mac and Bone Show. Nick Baumgartner is ready to go. Mad to talk NFL draft with us here. How about that? Let's do it. This is a good Panther hour, though, for the most part. And his only call. We got a lot of time on our hands here. (laughs) And Nick's going to play a role in it. Um, Nick Baumgartner, senior writer at The Athletic. He's got a a mock draft out there right now. And uh, I'm sure we're going to get all into the wide receiver's bone. That could be in that 33 range for our Carolina Panthers. Nick Baumgartner joins us on the Body Works Plus guest hotline. Nick, hello. Happy New Year. What's going on? How you doing? Good, fellas. How are you? We're, do- we're doing good, man. We're doing good. So on your mock, you actually have the Panthers at 33, and I appreciate you including us. <laughs> Most mockers do not include us without our first-round pick. Know, it's a sign right? of respect. We like it. <laughs> I really appreciate that. But it, it, you have uh, Lad McConkey, I think, at 33, yeah. a, a receiver that I love. But I noticed there's skepticism with him. Some fans, when I brought him up, oh, 33 is too high. Explain to everybody why you think that's a really good pick for the Panthers right there. Yeah, you know what you're talking about. And those people need to watch Lad's tape, I think, because it's. uh, I think you get lost a little bit. Some the casual fans will get lost just looking at Lad McConkey because he is not a. uh, You know, he's not a first guy off the bus. You know, player. He was a three-star recruit. He was not one of George's, like, stud recruits. However, you know, this guy is, you know, first of all, he has uh, agility and burst and speed that will show up at the combine that will surprise a lot of people with his testing numbers. Uh, it, that all shows up on his tape. Um, he's, a, he's a surprising athlete. I think he surprised even Georgia. He was able to get on the field right away there. But more than anything, uh, this is a guy who is, I think he's, about as good a route runner as you as you'll find, and he's up there with the top guys uh, in the draft, in my opinion, as the full body route runner uh, that can get open in the slot, that can get open out wide. Uh, he was terrific at the Senior Bowl. You can't do anything with him one on one out there in space like that. Uh, and to me, he is he is probably the most quarterback friendly uh, receiver in the draft. And when we say that, that's like you know coming back to the ball. Uh, he doesn't drop passes. He reminds me of um, a guy in Detroit right now, Amon Ross St. Brown. That's what Lad McConkey reminds me a lot of. And I think for a team like Carolina and a quarterback like Bryce Young, that is like super important. A guy like that you can always rely on. And I think Bryce really needs that right now. Nick, who are some other wide receivers uh, in that 33 range that could be Panther targets that fit what they're looking for? Although you could say, based off of last year's wideouts, anyone that can catch the football uh, is possibly right. an option. But who are some names to, to look out for? I mean, it's going to be tricky and interesting to see because there could be a run like Lad. I mean, it wouldn't shock me if he slips up in the first round. You know, I got a, I had Adonai Mitchell, the Texas receiver, who's big and long and explosive. I think he'll be a first-rounder, too, but you never know. He could slip down there. Keon Coleman, same thing. Uh, those are the guys that could maybe fall. It would be a little bit surprising there if they did. Um, more realistically, though, uh, a guy like Troy Franklin from Oregon uh, who can play a couple different spots for you. Xavier Worthy, who's got no-doubt speed. 
uh, out there, uh, Texas receiver. I like Malachi Corley a lot. That might be a little high for him. Um, but there's a good handful in there uh, right at 33, and I think the best hope if you're Carolina is that one of those guys falls. And that includes Ladd. I think that he's in that group that could be in the first round. And, you know, maybe if you know there's a lot of tackles in this draft, uh, maybe if there's a run on tackles, or maybe if the quarterbacks get pushed up, you know, that, that could be a benefit, too, for Carolina. A uh, guy that we watched play at, at North Carolina, first of all, we had to root for him to be eligible, right? And then the NCAA finally gave right. in. Yeah. Then we watched Tez Walker play, and he was amazingly impressive. And then all the reports out of the Senior Bowl, and, and I watched the game, the practices, the reports were always dropping, he's not playing well. The game, he had chances to make plays and didn't. Is his right. stock dropping? Like, what are, What's everybody thinking of, of Tez Walker right now? I feel like I feel like Tez is flattened a little bit, and it's like it's really hard. And I had him in the third round, and I felt like that was way too low because there's a lot of good. The problem is, is there's so many good receivers, you know, and that's the thing is there's a bunch of guys that did go to the Senior Bowl that did have a really good week, like Corley. I just mentioned him, really good week at the Senior Bowl. So he's a guy who was probably a little bit ahead of Tez, depending on who you talk to. I think Daniel Jeremiah has Tez up there in like 23 or 24 somewhere. Oh, uh, in the first round, you know what I mean? So, I mean, he's got legit talent, no question, but, you know, it's not consistent. And I think that's what the Senior Bowl showed is that because he had some really good reps at the Senior Bowl, too, really good ones. But he, then he also had ones that you're like, what the hell is going on here, you know? So, yeah. like, it's just it's not as consistent as you'd want, and I think that's going to be the thing that maybe pushes him down a little bit. Nick Baumgartner with us, theathletic.com, has a really, really great mock-up right now. Check it out again, theathletic.com, doing great work. Panthers also, in addition to wideouts, they need a really dynamic young tight end if they can find one somewhere in the draft. What's the depth of the tight end class looking like this year? Not, you know, I think it's a little bit better than I thought it was originally. Uh, you know, it's after Brock Bowers, there's obviously a huge dip there. Sanders, the kid from Texas, is probably a second-round pick, I would think. Uh, Theo Johnson's a kid that, uh, from Penn State that played really well at the Senior Bowl. And had a really good season uh, for Penn State. Their offense wasn't very good, but you know sometimes you got to really squint there to see uh, some guys playing. But he was a really good two-way tight end. Uh, Kate Stover, Ohio State, is another guy that could probably be there in round three. Um, you know, there's a bunch of guys like that. You know, in the in the later rounds, I think this is a year that you're going to be. You know, last year there were so many good tight ends at the top. This year, I think it's a sneakier. There's sneakier depth here, but I think you're going to be able to, to mine it late. And that's the thing with Carolina is they, you know, they need more picks. I mean, that's the hardest thing for them. And they're going to have to take advantage of every single one of these, especially the, uh, the day free ones. Obviously offensive line, Nick is, is another big position of need. Really yeah. anything that can help Bryce young is a position of need. Right. The man needs some dang help. So offensive line, I wonder if they would go interior lineman, uh, you know, at 33, instead of wide receiver, mm-hmm. Could they wait to the third round? I know that a lot of people have really hyped up this offensive line class. What do you think about the Panthers? Like, do can they get a guy that can make an immediate impact in early round three, or would they have to do that in round two? What do you think? I think they can absolutely do it in round three, and that's definitely something I thought about. I ended up giving them a corner, but I thought about offensive line for them uh, in the same spot. You got you know you can do a couple different things. Blake Fisher is a tackle from Notre Dame. That I think might be you know right in there. Uh, Dominic Puny is a is a guard tackle from Kansas who's really really talented. Um, if you want to just go guard, Christian Haynes um, from uh, UConn. There's really good players that are going to be probably there. I would think Christian Mahogany is another one from Boston College in the third round. And you know it's not just the tackles; it's tackles and some centers in this draft that are pretty okay. pretty solid in there too. You know what I mean? So that is definitely something that I think 
if you're going to take a lineman, and I think that it's going to be, what do you need more? Do you need a lineman or do you need somebody on the edge there? And it'll be, I think you want to do that, you know, before the end of day two, because like you said, there, there are a lot of really good ones in this draft. Nick, this is a really loaded up quarterback uh, class in that first yeah. round. If Bryce Young was in this class, how do you think hmm. he would rank with the guys that are coming out this year? That's a great question. He'd still be a first round pick. Uh, I think he would probably be ahead of, you know, it's a tough one. I think he would be right there with Jaden Daniels. I think it would be, you know, right ahead or right behind Jaden Daniels. And I think it would be something where he would be gone in the top half of the first round, not number one overall. He wouldn't be ahead of Caleb uh, Williams or Drake may. Um, I think he would be three or four somewhere in there. And that would still probably be good enough to be top 10. I yeah. think in this yeah. class uh, somewhere in there. Okay. So here, yeah. here's what I'm fascinated to ask you about. Now that we've gotten through our O-line tight end and, <laughs> and, and, uh, uh, and uh, yeah. wide receiver needs, <laughs> let's talk about Bryce because this, you can only imagine yeah. how hot this subject has been, how polarizing it's been. He had a rough, rough year, but you can point to all the stuff around him that wasn't good. What was your evaluation of Bryce last year? Like, how did you feel about him coming out? And has it changed by the way he struggled this year at all? What do you think? I thought last year when he was coming out, my biggest thing with him and Stroud, both of them, were they have got to – and Bryce, I thought you could get away with it a little bit more because he's got – he was a little bit more of an older player in terms of, like, wiser and all that sort of stuff. However, you know, they had to have help. Like, that was the thing. You couldn't send them to a team that had nothing up front and nothing to help. And I think that I watched them in the preseason. I watched, uh, I can't remember which game it was, but I think I watched all of them, actually, the the Panthers preseason games and watched Bryce. Uh, I think every snap he took. And it was like, I told whoever it was here, one of our bus, and I was like, he's going to get killed. You know, I mean, all year he's going to get roughed up. It's going to be one of these things where he's not, there's nobody there protecting him. And you could see it. And I, you know, I live in Detroit, and I, I watched that game that they had with the Lions, and I thought he was kind of coming around. And there were some plays in that game that was. reminded me of the Bryce that we saw last year. But at the same time, it's like he's not getting any help. And when he's getting hit so much like that, it's going to be brutal on the confidence of a young player. And I think that he did an okay job. I feel like of keeping his confidence through it. They've got to do a way better job as a franchise right now of helping him. Otherwise, you're going to end up in a situation a lot like you saw with, with Fields in Ohio State. Fields was behind Bryce. I, Bryce is ahead of where Justin was coming out, I think, as a passer. But the confidence thing, if you ruin it early, it's hard to get back. So that's the big thing right now, I think, is making sure he stays confident. Yeah, definitely. Great definitely. All right. Hey, great conversation, Nick. We appreciate it. I love the lad Bacanke. Uh selection is yeah. mock draft. Check Nick's mock draft out, theathletic.com, and you know The Athletic is pumping out draft content big time. Hey, hey Bruder's right. got his top 100. Hey, keep doing 33, man. We like it. And we like, yeah. Make you know sure it. you get us involved in the mix, man. You know what I mean? We'll do, absolutely. <laughs> All right, Nick. Thank you, man. Keep up the good work. All right, fellas. Thank you. Listen to Mac and Bone every weekday morning from 6 to 10. Instant replay continues with more in a moment. Only on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. The exclusive home of the Charlotte Sports Fan. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between.
McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. You're listening to Instant Replay on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNC. Because great radio the second time around is always twice as nice. This afternoon on the Wesson Walker Show. All right, well, to help us to talk about what can keep that fight song playing during this basketball season, we have the guy who runs the show up in Winston-Salem. I'm talking about Wake Forest head basketball coach Steve Forbes joining the Wesson Walker Show and the Body Works Plus guest hotline. Coach, how's it going for you? Well, it's going good now that I'm talking to you guys. And, I, you know, you guys fired me up with that song. I just kind of go, dun, 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 dun. I don't, I don't know the word, either, I'll be honest with you. <laughs> I know, Coach, um, but you're not going to get as much flack as I do because I'm an alum. And so, you know, it, it does reflect uh-huh. bad on me that I don't know the word. Well, that's just the job. Hey, you don't need to know the words, man. You just need to win games. That's about it. And I think everybody will be okay with you not knowing the words to the fight song. All right. Well, yeah, it's all about winning. And uh, when, I was, when I was at A&M, we used to have to saw the horns off after every game and I always thought it was really strange that the fight song was about Texas. I mean it's the most strange I mean the whole fight song is about beating Texas. We don't play Texas every game. Right. I mean last time I checked. Yeah man, coach, no doubt. So when you look at this Wake Forest basketball team and where we sit today, fourth place in the conference, talk about uh your expectations preseason with this squad and where you feel like they sit uh today as we talk to you. Well I had high expectations for this team coming into the into the season because I, you know, I was in practice every day and I knew what kind of players that we had. Obviously, you know, we went through some transition early with some injuries. We, you know, Marsh got a concussion, didn't play in Charleston. Efton didn't get eligible until Rutgers, and you know, Damari kind of came in here late too. So, you know, have, but I knew if we had the entire team, we'd have a chance to to be really good. Um, you know, we're in fourth place. We've lost a couple road games where we had the lead that. You know, you like to get those back, but that's part of it. You just keep moving. And we got a lot of uh, important games ahead of us. And I think the most important thing to do is just worry about the next game in front of you and not try to look too far down the road. Yeah, Coach, you guys are 13-0 and at home, 2-6 and on the road. What's been the biggest difference you feel like when you guys leave out of the Joel and go on the road as to why getting wins has been a tough task? I don't think, I mean, I think it's pretty much all over the country. There's very few teams that have winning records on the road. I've had them in the past, but they're hard to do. I think that it's not so much leaving the Joel. It's just how you finish the game. And, and we have had a couple leads, you know, 10-point leads in the second half, probably on the road at Pitt, on the road at NC State, and just had some things happen to us that you can't do to win, to win games on the road. You can't give up offensive rebounds can't give up transition baskets, and most importantly, you can't foul. And I think we're giving up 25 free throws on the road and 13 at home, and that's a big difference. And so, um, you know, we did a good job with that um, at Georgia Tech about a week and a half ago, one there at Duke. Um, we got in foul trouble. You know, we, Efton was in foul trouble the whole night. Andrew was in foul trouble. You take those guys off the court, it's uh, – it makes it tougher. We didn't shoot it great, but we had a chance. We were right there at the end, and we found a way. 
But we got to stay out of foul trouble, you know, to win on the road. Well, and coach, it, not to continue to talk about road woes, but you're right. It's not just Wake Forest or specifically no. teams in the ACC. It is all over the country. We just went over the stat after North Carolina lost. The top 10 teams against unranked opponents are like 500. I, I know it's always been hard to win on the road in college basketball. It seems harder now. How much has that changed because of the transfer portal, just the era we're in right now? Yeah. Like, why does it seem harder to you that all of college basketball as a whole is suffering to win on the road? Well, you know, I, I think that, number one, you, you probably are a, a bit right, you know, as far as the transfer portal give us the transfer portal take us away a little bit maybe you don't have you know you're not as veteran as you have been as a team maybe you have older guys but they haven't played in those environments together like for instance my team i mean you know hunter didn't play a lot at gonzaga you know efton didn't play a lot at gonzaga you know this is you know boopy didn't play at all last year and so this is kind of their first go around of being in those really tough environments, there's just a certain way you got to play to win them, and you got to be mentally tough and physically tough. And you know, if one and I was watching Beheim talk about it on the network one night. Somebody, oh, Virginia Tech was up ten at Miami, and then two bad possessions, and it, it it's a six point game, and then it's then they win. You just can't have back to back bad possessions, and we did it at Duke with the under eight timeout. John Koshire called timeout. We're down three, right there. And then we come out, we turn it over twice. And then we foul, two points. We give up a basket, two points. It's now seven. You know, it's just there's a small small margin in those things. And you got to be on the right side of it by playing the right way. And, you know, I do think there's more of a home court advantage in basketball than there is in football. And um, it just, I think it's proven out. And so it, it's just, it's, I don't know, I don't think it's anything new, mm-hmm. but it might be a little bit more because of the portal. Wake Forest basketball coach Steve Forbes joining us on the Body Works Plus guest hotline. You talk about hitting the portal uh, portal yourself. Steve, I, I need to know, like, I know you can't be giving away all your secrets, but I'm asking just for a taste, just a little info on how you go to the transfer portal and find wow. guards that contend for ACC player of the year every year. Like, you mentioned yourself, Salas wasn't even playing all that much. Now here he yeah. is in player of the year contention. When you hit the portal, what are you looking for specifically in players? Wow, I mean... I like guys that can score, and you know, like I say that you're probably laughing at me because Alonda scored four points, maybe six, and and I think that's what Hunter averaged. But the one thing that we have access to is a lot of film because of technology with synergy, and I can watch everything that any kid's ever done all over the world playing, and so I, you know, I think we do a good job of finding guys that, you know, we could see a little more in them than what they have seen in themselves or maybe where they were at. Sometimes as coaches, we're all guilty of painting, putting guys in boxes, right? And then it's hard to get out of that box. And so you got to kind of see outside the box they were put in in their situation. And you look at their athleticism and their skill and their uh, and their ability to shoot the basketball. And I, I just – I knew Hunter's background from Omaha because I'm from Iowa. Um, and you don't unbecome a McDonald's All-American, okay? You just don't. You're really good if you're a McDonald's All-American. And, I just knew he had it in his tank, and you just have to get it out of him. And you know, and you get a feel for him when you meet him face to face, who's real and who's not. And I just felt like he was. And so, you know, I don't know. It's gotta be a little lucky too. Let's be honest. I mean, and also, I think we also know we have a pretty good idea how to recruit to, the, to our style of play. And I just feel like we've done a good job of plugging guys into the way we like to play.
Hey, Coach, talking about Salas in that tank, he leads the uh, the conference in minutes played per game. He's also third in scoring. Did you envision that type of role for him with a guy basically doesn't come off the court once you get him out there in that starting lineup? Yeah, I'm not going to tell you that I expected him to do that, but I've had that question for three years now with Alondis Ty and him. I don't put those kind of pressures on those kids when they come here. Now, do I think they're going to play well? Do I think they're going to average double figures? Yes, I do. And for two reasons. Number one, we're going to play them the minutes. One of the things about recruiting transfers, you can't lie to them. If you, if you paint a picture to them that you're going to play this and these are the minutes, this, then you have to do it or it won't work. And, or you can't play them out of position. You can't tell them you're going to play them at certain positions. You play them somewhere else. And I think, the other, you know, we've been true to our word. Um, you know, did I think he'd average 18? No. I thought he'd average double figures, whatever that number was. I don't know. But, uh, you know, the past has said that if you come here and you have the ball in your hands and you have high usage rate, then you're going to score that because those guys before him have proven that. And so, Coach, too, and when you're looking at this game, and I remember when you guys uh, had a loss not too long ago and you talked about how guys were playing uh, selfishly and not uh, yeah. playing within the offense, and you guys are 13th in the conference in assists per game. For this basketball team, is it as simple as them just coming out and sharing the basketball and playing enough defense and you guys feel like you have a shot uh, in any game that you play in? Yeah, I think it's an important number to look at. I don't think it's the number. The only number. I mean, we we have one of the top twenty most efficient offenses in the country, and we lead the league, or we're second in the league at least in scoring. Um, but I do think sometimes the drive is not for you, and that's something I've stressed with this group uh, over the last couple of weeks: is to to drive, kick, swing, playoff too. Now, sometimes the drive is for you, and you got to drive in there and score. But when you're drawing two or three defenders in there, it's time to kick it and move. It. And we got talented guys that could put the ball on the floor, and you have to be able to score at the rim. Against Duke, you know, we got to the rim. I mean, we were 10 for 13 in the second half at the rim, 16 for 24 for the game. We didn't make threes. You know, so it wasn't that. We did, we, we've we shared it. We didn't make them. And so it's just one of those things. There's a fine line. It's a good question. Um, I, I think it's important. I don't think it's the end of the world. Depending, on, I think a lot of it is dependent on how we're guarded by the other team, by how many assists you're going to get or not get. Steve, Steve Forbes joining us on the Body Works Plus guest hotline, Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. Coach, there's a lot going on in how conferences and teams are perceived based on yeah. net ranking, the ACC's yeah. reputation. It's not great right now based on the lack of love that they're getting. Why do you think, like, is... Not that there's a legitimate reason for it, but why is it that the ACC isn't getting enough respect compared to other conferences, and how do we fix that? Well, I think the first thing you do is you go out and win, and you block out that noise as a, as a coach now. Okay, I'm talking about it for me personally or my team. I, I, don't, I think that's more of a, a fan thing. I think the most damaging thing about the narrative is when you have people on a committee making decisions that maybe don't know much about basketball, then at the end of the day, they listen to something that one of these guys says. Now, that's to me, is a scary deal. I think what has happened is, I don't think the league's changed at all. I think it's just how we're viewed. And for instance, when the RPI was in play, the last four years of the RPI, we had something like, uh, I don't remember. Oh, we had 31 bids in the last four years of the RPI. And we had 59 wins, 67 winning percentage, far and away more than anybody in college basketball, okay? Big 12 had 27. Big 10 had 25. Remember that number. 
Now we go to the net. Now we're down to 24 bids. Four years later, 31, you know, we had all these bids. Now we're down to 24. Big 12 about the same, but the Big 10's up to 36. But they're last in winning percentage in the tournament, and we're still number one. To me, it's just the lens that you look at the metric. I think the metric is flawed. I don't, I'm not, I think it's terrible. Um, it's not a good metric, but it's one we have to live with. And I think they just, I think when you create a narrative, all you do is look at numbers and you don't watch basketball. I mean, there's no way possible these guys who have these narratives to watch possibly every game in every league to know whose league is better. So I think if you want to be, if you want to predict, you know, those kind of things and have a narrative, then you're just going to do metrics and you should say that. And understand you don't really know anything about basketball. And that's my opinion. Well, and, and coach, it looks like, okay, so there's been this big discussion about a conference like the Big 12, where, okay, yeah. it fe- feels like they gamed the system. What they do they is did. they schedule the cupcake non conference slate. They don't lose. They get a bunch of teams in the tournament. Mm-hmm. And then a lot of times they'll get bounced early. Whereas an ACC yeah. conference, they'll get to the tournament. And then it's not a cupcake non-conference. And then you see two teams like Duke, North Carolina, get to the final four. You know, you have so much more success. How do you try to balance that as you're looking to schedule? Okay, we want to get there, but also I want to be ready once we get there. Well, that's the inconsistency of the message. And it's a great example. The years that we were 13 and seven two years ago and 10 and one in non-league and didn't get in. And what I was told at the spring meetings, by somebody who represents the NCAA, well, we didn't have a tough enough amount of conversation. Okay. But we went 10-1. and one. All right, we beat, L- we beat Northwestern, beat Oregon State, whatever. Now, two years later, I watch the Big 12 cook the numbers. They don't beat any. There's a couple teams that do, but everybody else just blows teams out quad four, and that's, that's the problem with the metric. It's not the score. It's not the margin. It's the efficiencies. If you blow a team out and blow, get your efficiencies up so high, your net's not going to come down. And what has happened in the Big 12 is everybody has a high net at the end of non-conference, and they start playing each other. They're not going to move a whole lot. And so I think it comes down to the message, and that's the inconsistency of the committee because each year they look at something different. Well, it was their non-conference. Well, it was their league. Well, it was their quad ones. Well, it was their combination of ones and twos. Well, he had a quad four lock. I mean, it's just all over the map, and that's the problem. And so what you do, in my opinion, is you just play. You know, you can't. You can't worry, oh, this is a quad one game, it's important. No, they're all important. Every damn one of them are important. And so that's how you got to attack it and just win and hope that it takes care of itself. Coach, last thing I got for you, you know, a lot has been talked about as far as the transfers you brought into Wake Forest thus far and the impacts that they have. And did your previous stops uh, at the schools that you coached at beforehand, we, we see coaches all over college sports now leaving head coaching positions and going to be coordinators or assistant coaches because of yeah. the, the current climate of the game. So did your previous stops kind of prepare you for this and how you're able to thrive uh, in this type of era of college sports with NIL and Portal and all that? stuff? I, mean, I would imagine so. I mean, I, it'd be hard to say that, you know, I coached junior college for 11 years, so I had roster turnover every year, so I, that was something that wasn't foreign to me, but you got to remember, too, now, you know, I went and coached in Tennessee for all those years. But we probably had one or two, tra- not very many transfers, not uh, one, maybe two JUCO players, mostly all high school players, back to junior college for a couple of years. I went to Wichita, where we kind of had a mix. And then when I went to East Tennessee State, it was before the one-time transfer rule. I was redshirting people. I was bringing, you know, two or a couple transfers in a year and setting them out, uh, which I really liked because you can't play 13 guys anyway. You can't keep them all half. 
And so setting guys out in red shirt no more really good. But then the one then right when I got to wake soon after the one time transfer came in, it's either you adapt or you get run over. And so it's like I can understand guys that are my age or a little bit older that have decided that they don't want to do this anymore. I get it. But if you don't change, then you're going to not make it. And so we've been able to adapt. And it's hard at Wake Forest. You know this. This is a very high academic institution. So there's a lot of guys in the portal we just can't recruit because of the academic situation here. So it makes it kind of even doubly harder because we have to be able to get them in school. They have to be able to get enough credits, and they have to want to go to school, go to class, and do their work. And we don't have a online. We don't do that. And so, you know, it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's not as easy as you think it is. But when you find the right people and they come here and they embrace it, they do really well. All right, Coach, final thing. I consider you a pretty smooth guy. You can take that however you want. That's how I feel about you. And because of that, I would like to get some Valentine's Day advice from you. Like we had our we had our playlist day yesterday. Oh we also God. got some advice from listeners. We, we got some great tips, but I feel like you would be a great guy to ask this for. So like whether it's a, your favorite love song, whether it's oh. candy, a nice treat, what kind of advice do you have for us people on Valentine's Day and what to do? I am the absolute worst person to ask. I hate to tell you this. Like, for years, and my wife, it kind of became a joke. She got used to it. I would forget it was Valentine's Day. I'd be in the office, and I'd pull out a piece of my stationery, right? Say, Tennessee, Wake Forest, Wichita State. And I'd write her, you know, some bunny loves you, or, hey, happy Valentine's Day on my stationery and take it home to her. Okay? <laughs> that, I would recommend that. If okay. You. Um so I just God, it's so hard in the middle of the season, man. It's just I'm a, I'm I'm just terrible. I, I would say like last night, I, you know, I got her card, some candy, and some roses. That was good. But if full disclosure is, I had to ask my son to go get them. Oh no! All right, okay. yeah. Don't she won't listen today? I hope not, so she won't <laughs> hear that. But um, guys, you know, I'm the guy that took my wife on her honeymoon to a job interview for a graduate assistant job that I didn't get. Okay. So in Omaha, Nebraska. So my point is, I don't think I'm probably the right guy for you on this. And I apologize. Uh, so, so no, it's okay. We learned a lot. We learned not to write a love note on a stationary and not to bring your significant other to a job interview. You don't get that's good advice. <laughs> well, and I'll not, take that not, for the rest not, of my life. Not on a honeymoon. Okay. Okay. Like, when you say Omaha, and she probably thinks you said Oahu. No, I said Omaha. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> Nebraska, babe. Of, Nebraska. In the middle of America. Okay? <laughs> and, so, um, yeah, she, God bless her soul, she's put up with a lot from me. And to be married for 35 years is a testament to her strength because being, being married to me is not a lot of fun. I can't imagine. And, I, you know, I'm not looking in the mirror. Not, I mean, I overachieved recruiting her. That's I should have told you I was going to get pretty good players. That's just recruiting. All right, Coach. Well, we appreciate the time. That was Wake Forest head basketball coach Steve Forbes on the Body Works Plus. Man, doing a nice job hotline, telling you how to recruit uh, the significant other in your life on top of other great nuggets that he gave us. And you can follow him on X at Forbes Wake Hoops. Coach, we wish you the best, especially me, and we'll see you down the road. I appreciate you guys having me. Hopefully, after listening to this, my wife won't put me in the portal. We won't tell her. We won't tell her. No doubt, Coach. We'll see you, man. All right. 
You can hear Wes and Walker live and local every weekday afternoon from noon to 3. Sit tight and stay locked because Instant Replay continues next. Only on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. The exclusive home of the Charlotte Sports Fan. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning their chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Play on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNC. Earlier this afternoon on the Kyle Bailey Show. Charlotte Hornets. Let me tell you something. Charlotte sports fans are like a man lost in the desert looking for an oasis. Charlotte sports fans are are like a man lost in the wilderness needing something to eat. They've been watching terrible product after terrible product for a couple of years now. And I am not above celebrating a three-game winning streak in a lost season going into the All-Star break like it is one of the greatest things that we've seen in the last decade in Charlotte professional sports. Because while it's not, it's not that far away. I mean, last night the Hornets won again. They beat the Hawks in the final game before the NBA trade deadline. They will go into an eight-day vacation, 3-0, and since acquiring basically half a new team. And I'll tell you what, I, we had this discussion yesterday in the five o'clock hour. Um, I will absolutely continue to take your thoughts on it because I know some folks will continue to want to weigh in on this. I said yesterday, are you sure you don't want to just remain a little bit open-minded these last 31 games and just see what Steve Clifford can do with this group? That man looks like your buddy who got divorced at 51 out of a terrible relationship. And all of a sudden he looks and sounds like the guy you knew at 31. Like he, he looks like he got out of an abusive, awful marriage, an abusive, awful relationship. And he's sitting up there in the postgame last night, just smiling, yucking it up, having actually having a good time with the media, talking about the stats and the guys that he likes and what's going well. And it's just like, this is a new dude. He looks like the guy who got out of a 20-year abusive relationship with, with an awful partner. And now he's got his freedom back and he's got a new lease on life. And I don't know if it lasts, man, but man, they won again. And they're doing, they're playing smart basketball. They're doing things that make you want to tune in the next time and and watch them again. And I'll be real with you. A week ago, I could not wait for the NBA trade deadline. I'm sorry, the NBA All-Star break. A week ago, I, I was I was eyeing this eight-day vacation as the host of the Charlotte Hornets pregame show. And I was like, man, I need that eight days. So I, I need my fix. Like, I need to get away from this basketball team. It is terrible. 
Like, there's no way to keep saying the same things over and over again. They don't play defense. They don't show a whole lot of care factor. They don't work very hard. Uh, They don't seem to be bothered by the fact that their head coach is about to have a coronary every single night begging them to show some effort and focus. And and now he brings in five new players, four roles. Here's the best part about it, too. They brought in the Charlotte natives, right? They bring in a shooter in Bertans. They bring in the former EuroLeague player of the year in Vasa Misic. They, they, they bring in, you know, some guys that can play. What they brought in, though, are role players, right? Now, I, I'm open to the possibility that Trey Mann ends up being more than that. But they brought in four veterans, or five players, four of which are veterans. All five, at least right now, I think, can rightly be looked at as role players. And... It's one of the rare instances, and I heard Colin Hoggard say this earlier, we were just talking about this before the show. How many times throughout the course of history, and I bet you haven't documented or cataloged most of them, so it might not be the easiest thing to go back and remember, but how many times in in pro sports have you seen a team be sellers at the deadline and immediately get markedly better after the fact? It, It just really doesn't happen. And it speaks volumes about the locker room that was in place before the trade deadline. And, you know, to be clear, some of the guys who who went out, who were outgoing players at the deadline via trade or via being waived, I, I don't want to slander those guys, man. Like, Ish Smith is a great guy. He's a good leader. I don't blame him. Right? I don't blame I don't, I don't think Gordon Hayward was a problem in the locker room, but, you know, him not playing very often certainly wasn't a net positive. So I, I don't want to look at that entire group of guys and say good riddance to all of them. I would never say that about Ish Smith. But overall, right, the net result, players out, players in, has clearly led to an obvious, immediate, and like seismic change in culture and leadership and maturity and give a damn. Grant, and, and look, it matters that Grant Williams and Seth Curry are home, right, back in Charlotte. I, I think that. In, in the trade that was made Thursday, if you substitute those guys for, you know, players of their same caliber, guys with the same numbers but different backgrounds, I don't know that it has the same effect, but that's not reality. That's what we've got here. Two guys from Charlotte, Providence Day, Charlotte Christian, they care about the team. They, they grew up on it, uh, both of them in different ways, right? And and so you bring those guys in. You bring in the former EuroLeague player of the year who is a 30-year-old rookie, and that's a funny story, but the guy can hoop. Uh, Bertans is a known commodity in the NBA. Uh, earlier today, I, 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 Hoggard's on fire today. He called him Latvian Oliver Anthony, and I, I can't unsee it because that's exactly what Davies Bertans is. He's he's Latvian Oliver Anthony, and I love that. But I, I say all that to get to Trey Mann, too. And I put this out on Twitter last night, asking the question, am I allowed to go ahead and get really friggin' excited about a LaMelo Ball Trey Mann backcourt? Because I might already be there. I might already be there. And, you know, the numbers that this young man is putting up in in just three games since he got here, really impressive stuff. And he looks like there might be even more to his game, right, when it's all said and done. Last night, Trey Mann finishes with 21 points, eight rebounds, six assists. I think he's averaging seven assists a game in his first three as a Hornet. Goes for 21 last night. And look, without LaMelo on the floor, we're going to get to that. There are more shots available. Everybody's benefiting from that to an extent. But Trey Mann, a 21, 8, and 6 with a couple of steals as well. He's he's on the plus side of the plus minus. He plays 30 minutes. He's 4 of 5 from deep. You know, he, He's giving them the kind of defensive effort there in the backcourt that they've been needing but certainly will need moving forward. Uh, Trey Mann... 
that that young man has got me extremely excited about the future of the Hornets' backcourt. Now, Smoke, you tell me. You tell me. What do you think? Are you as excited about Trey Mann and the possibility of Mann and and LaMelo together in the backcourt? Because I'm I'm looking in my head at a starting lineup potentially of LaMelo, Trey Mann, Brandon Miller, Miles Bridges, Mark Williams when this team is healthy. I may be a little bit more hesitant because Trey Mann is kind of undersized, I believe. And I I don't want him playing two, and it kind of gets you back in a similar problem that you had with Terry of having an undersized two guard alongside LaMelo. So that is a concern, but I I absolutely love the idea of having LaMelo and then you go to Trey Mann off the bench. That idea I love. And even in spurts, you know, you can have them both on the court at the same time. Kyle, I'm not going to you know stretch the imagination. This is how much I love it, and it, I may have poo-pooed your idea there. Trey Mann might be the best backup point guard the Hornets have had since Jeremy Lin. Ooh. Ooh. And that's been nearly yeah, a decade been, so, so after three games, you're willing to go there, huh? Potentially. The potential he has, yes. Okay. All right. I, I got to say, first of all, Trey Mann— He's 21, too, so— yeah. Or 22. He's 23. Oh, really? Yeah, Trey Mann's 23. Like somebody a minute ago asked on the text line, hey, where'd he come from? Where was Mann before? And go to college and draft position. Uh, You know, if you're not a big college basketball fan, you might not have heard of Trey Mann, but he played at Florida. Um, I think he came out in 2020. 2020? Is that what it was? 2021, because he was either two picks before Kai. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. But he was the 18th overall pick. No, he was the pick before Kai Jones. Oh, wow. Trey Mann was the pick before Kai Jones, I believe, in the 2020, because they traded back up, the Hornets did, to 19 to take Kai Jones. Is that yeah, right? Mm-hmm. And thank God. And, and for, I'll, I'll double check this, but I believe Trey, I believe Trey Mann was the 18th overall pick in that draft. I'm pretty sure he was. Just a reminder, thank God Mitch Kupchak put all those protections on that pick up until 2026, or Brandon Miller would not be here right now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's a fair point. I hadn't looked at it like that. But like the Trey Mann addition to the backcourt, man, I, 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 I like it a lot. He might be the most important thing that they've done here from a, a, a production standpoint. And I got to push back a little. Like, you know he's bigger than Terry Rozier, right? Really? Like Terry's like 6'1". Uh, Trey's listed as 6'3". Okay. So now we can get into wingspan and you know vertical and all that stuff. Um, but I, I think Trey Mann is a more physically imposing athlete than Terry is. I, I do believe that. 704-570-9610. Hit us up on the text line. Uh, Chase from Charlotte just said, Trey Mann's defense is good too. Better than Rozier's no-brainer starter with LaMelo. Um, <laughs> ditto. I don't know how I haven't thought of this. He says, he he named it. The man ball backcourt. Has a ring to it. The man ball backcourt. You get the innuendo. 704-570-9610. Uh, Brian says, would it be accurate to say that Trey Mann is now our Scoot Henderson? That feels premature for a number of reasons. Because we don't even know what Scoot Henderson is yet. And he was the third overall pick as, a, as opposed to 18. But he might be, he could be a legitimate running mate for LaMelo in the backcourt. Certainly if he continues to play like this. And speaking of, right? Speaking of, I, it it sounds like... LaMelo Ball is probably returning to the rotation after the NBA All-Star break. Um, the spotlight is going to be on LaMelo Ball when he returns. Think about this. I, I think the reason this is working for the Hornets right now, for now at least, is that they brought in, as we talked about, five role players, four veterans, to kind of play a support role for now around Brandon Miller and Miles Bridges and eventually LaMelo Ball. Right. That, that's partly why this works, too. 
you know, on on the outgoing trade part, Terry Rozier is a guy who took a lot of shots now, like high volume stuff. Terry was shooting a lot. And that's okay. I mean, ter- Terry had a lot of big nights, but you know, they they got rid of that. Gordon's a guy who's going to take a lot of shots when he's in the game most of the time. But the Hornets brought back some, you know, role guys, some backup piece, like second unit guys. What what Mitch Kupchak did, and I, I tell you what, Smoke, I'm not kidding about this. If the Hornets ever turn into anything, you know, in our wildest dreams, if the Hornets ever actually compete for and win a title, let's say in our wildest dreams four years from now, three, four years from now, the Hornets win an NBA championship. And it's with this core that we're watching right now. They better give Mitch Kupchak a ring for what he did on Thursday. Right now, I know that's way off in the future, but I want to commend him for what he did here, because at the very least, from a basketball standpoint, what you've seen here is that Mitch Kupchak brought in, you know, role players, pieces, guys with roles and obviously maturity and professionalism to fit around the young core. Now, they're distributing the ball right now. What they have, 27 assists. I'm going to check the the stats. I believe 27 assists last night on 89 made buckets. So it's not an extreme number, right? I'm sorry, 40 for me. <laughs> Lest you get confused, no, they, they didn't score 178 points last night. Uh, 27 assists on 44 made buckets. They are just, like Those are James Borrego Hornets offense type of numbers, right? We haven't really seen that from this group this year. They're sharing the basketball. They're productive on offense. By the way, Miller led all scorers last night with 26. How is LaMelo going to, to fold back into this? Will he be able to come in? And look, I don't know that it has to look pristine right away. You know, I'll give him some grace for a couple of games. You're coming back from an extended absence. You got new pieces around you. I don't I don't think anybody should expect this to look perfect when he comes back, right? But there, I don't... Listen, LaMelo does a lot of things well, but this is a different team, and I will be fascinated like many other people to watch him. The spotlight's going to be on him when he comes back. How are you going to fold into this now with a roster that just went 3-0, and for, you know, after the trade deadline with a brand new group of guys. You tuned into Instant Replay when the audio was so good, it has to be heard again. Only on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. The exclusive home of the Charlotte Sports Fan.